hear us through your AirPods or see us on your laptop, how about meeting us in real life? Because we're taking Queer Money on the road this summer and fall. Visit QueerMoneyPodcast.com forward slash tour or the link in your podcast player to find out when we'll be in your neighborhood. Here at Queer Money, we're big dreamers, but as episode 16, Whining About Success from September 14th mentioned, we take those dreams further by acting. This week on the show, we hear the story of the successful Curtis Wong, senior editor of Huffington Post Queer Voices, about how a Madonna article in Vanity Fair inspired his dreams. We get to hear about his life choices and how they led to his success, and we get to hear how he met his idol for the first time. Join us this week. There's personal finance for the masses. This is not personal finance for the masses. Okay, let's see if this card goes through for that $8,000 drink. (laughs) (laughs) Everybody wants to be a part of the in-crowd. Everybody wants to to look good. My my decision was, I'm not a victim. I'm not going to stay and work someplace where this is a problem. Normally, we don't drink on queer money, but because we're talking about a subject that David is rather vanilla on... Grab a glass of wine, because you're listening to Queer Money with the Debt Free Guys. This is the only show helping our community do more and be more by talking about money from the queer perspective. All right, so thank you again for joining us, Curtis. Uh, we really appreciate you coming on uh, the Queer Money Show. As we've mentioned before, we really like to highlight individuals who are considered success in our community. And uh, we definitely, John and I agree that uh, the work that you have done is very valuable to our community. So thank you again for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. We're especially excited to have you because um, when we first started Queer Money, it was supposed to be just an 11-week series on Lab, which is now a defunct platform. Um, But we wanted to highlight uh, the financial nuances of the queer community, and we thought it was just going to be temporary. But then we had talked with you at some point, and you liked what we were doing, and um, we thought, well, geez, if, if somebody from Huffington Post likes what we're doing, we should continue it. <laughs> so, so we continued it, and we're actually glad that you did because um, you know we've uh, we've kind of expanded on the, what we're trying to do with queer money. Uh, definitely, we still want to highlight the financial nuances, but we also thought it's a great opportunity to, uh, as David said, to highlight other successful people in the queer community, um, not always financially successful, but who are making a great impact or who are living the lives that they want to live. And um, so we're excited to have you on to talk about that. Awesome. So um, I'm excited to be here. Great. So to get us started, um, you know, so you're, you're the senior editor of Huffington Post Queer Voices, um, which is a pretty awesome place to arrive at in one's career. So take me back to when, you know, Curtis Wong was a young kid. How, how did you... When did you realize that you were interested in journalism and how did you sort of take that first step? Um, well, I can tell you, you know, I, I think I was really first, first became interested in journalism back when I was, but probably between the summer between seventh and eighth grade. Um, long story short, I was a, a semi, uh, semi-obsessive Madonna fan. Still am. <laughs> Uh-oh. <laughs> You're not the only one in this conversation who's that way. <laughs> I do have a loaded question at the end of this interview to ask Curtis, but I was going to I'll save that. You can, you can save it. And I, I can tell you that. Um, so between the summer, summer of seventh, between the summer of seventh and eighth grade, 
Um, it was sort of around the time that um, A League of Their Own was coming out, and uh, I think the Erotica album was coming out. And I'll never forget, my uh, my mother brought me the 1990, it was October 1992 issue of Vanity Fair, and it was she was on the cover. And I just remember reading this article and just being so fascinated by what this article did, because it's sort of, you know, we, you know, here we are, we know Madonna as a celebrity, as a, as a performer, but I just thought it was like this, it was just a fantastic interview, and it kind of looked at the nuances that, that were going on in her career at that time, and right away, after I finished reading that article, I'm like, I want to do that, that's what I want to do, you know, <laughs> not as a, you know, not as a performer, or as an entertainer, but just, you know, to be the person who investigates things like that, and sort of takes something that we kind of, you know, a figure like Madonna or, or other things and, and sort of dissects it and like looks at it in a new light. I just was utterly fascinated by that. So going through high school at that, you know, shortly thereafter, I kind of entertained a few other career ideas. Like I thought briefly, there was a brief amount of time that I thought I wanted to be a chef that quickly went out the door. <laughs> um, then I thought about, you know, being an actor myself. And I, you know, I didn't really think that I had enough talent or enough drive for, for that type of field. Um, not that I don't respect those that do. I think it's amazing. And I still love theater and the performing arts a lot. Um, so I really, I, I really found myself, you know, thinking that writing was a real, was a strong point of mine and also like investigation, like, you know, looking at, like, as I said, looking at things and trying to dissect the meaning behind things or the reasons that things happen. So right as I graduated high school, I, I decided to pursue journalism, uh, for real. And it's, you know, that's pretty much how I got my start from, from the, from a young age, I guess. Absolutely. So prior to that, did, did you have any indication that this might be an interest of yours or was your, um, your Vanity Fair article with Madonna, the, the first in, insight into that? I would say it was, a, I, it, it was always, it was a turning point, but I always knew that I, I wanted to write and I, that I, whether that be fiction or nonfiction or, you know, I say this, the sun so lofty to be talking about middle school, book reports as non nonfiction, but you know, um, I just always knew that that writing was a strong point of mine. So I, I, I knew that I wanted to be a writer in some way. I just wasn't sure sort of how that would manifest itself. Sure. So did you tend to receive good grades in English and, and, and writing or was that a yes. struggle for you? Okay. So you had a natural affinity towards that. A natural affinity towards English and also a natural affinity towards history as well. So, oh, okay. and I knew, I knew I didn't want to, I do I knew I didn't want to be a teacher again. No, no, no disrespect to, to teachers. Cause I think they do amazing things, but it just wasn't, it wasn't something that I, I knew it wasn't something that I wanted to do. Right. Well, I think that's interesting. Um, cause what I think if I, I did some research, um, and I'm certainly no journalist, journalist, but, um, I did some research on you before, um, our interview today and it looks like you did, um, some English teaching, uh, in Prague. Is that right? Mm-hmm. I did. So uh, to sort of get to that point, um, I, you know, I went to school. I went to the University of Connecticut and studied journalism. Um, after I graduated from UConn, I moved to New York immediately thereafter, and I had an internship at a, a business publication, um, which, you know, in hindsight now, I think it was great experience. At the time, I just I, I knew it wasn't a great fit for me. Um, it was just was very sort of stoic, very uh, uh, very rigid business writing. Um, at the same time, they gave me a, a number of great bylines, so I can't resent that experience entirely. It was a great experience. Um, but after that internship ended, I um, sort of took the first job that I could find, which was had nothing to do with publishing or writing or, or, or journalism at all. It was an administrative position at a financial firm. 
So I did that for a few years, really, really didn't like it. Um, but you know, it paid the bills, it paid the rent, what can you say? So I was sort of looking for other avenues to, to, you know, to pursue at that point, having, having been in that job for almost four years. So I decided to get certified to teach English as a second language. Um, cause I thought, okay, you know, well, at least this will be some use of my writing and some use of my language skills. So after I did that, I moved to the Czech Republic, uh, which, uh, have, if you've not been to Prague, it's an incredible city. Um, moved there, started teaching there. I did, I taught there, uh, full time, I guess for about a year and a half and like sort of about a year and a half into that experience, I, the, you know, the writing itch started happening again. So I started, started to freelance a, a bit here and there, um, by sort of six, six or seven months into that freelancing life, I guess I started to really, really, really pursue it. So eventually, um, it was about half teaching, half writing. That was sort of my, my job at the time doing that for another, say, eight or nine months. After that, I got a full-time job at an English-language newspaper there, and I stopped teaching altogether. Gotcha. So. gotcha. That's very, very interesting. And brave for somebody that's so young to just, in my opinion, to just change countries and take a new job. <laughs> uh, oh, thank you. You know, it's so funny because I, I, look, I look back on it, and it's, you know, it really is a, a very uh, big turning point for me personally and professionally. And I think to myself, you know, the timing was right. Everything seemed right at the time. It would be hard for me to do that now. You know, so I'm glad that I did it when I did. It's it's kind of interesting that uh, you had this itch when you were younger, and then you pursued it a little bit, but then went off in a different direction, and it kept on kind of coming back to you and saying, "Hey, this is needs to be. This is what needs to be done." To- totally, absolutely. <laughs> I think that John and I just did a recently did a podcast, and we talked about that uh, how we we both were getting signs from the universe as to this is what we should be doing this is what we should be doing and sometimes we ignore those signs either because we got caught up in the here and now or because the bills were getting paid by something maybe that appeared to be a little bit more lucrative at the time but uh <laughs> it's uh it's just interesting how life kind of just the keeps on the universe doesn't let up right yeah the universe says hey this is where you're going to find your success so this is where you're going to find happiness well, and it's really great because I think the Prague experience gave me sort of a, how do I look, a skill set that I don't think that, I mean, it sort of gave me a unique skill set that I don't, that kind of makes me stand apart from the crowd. Um, I think when I go into situations where there are other journalists and such, you know, and I, you know, it's always a, it's always a great conversation point and it always seems to, to get brought up, you know, late as I get further and further into my career. So I'm really happy that I did it. Nice. So my question wasn't unique. <laughs> so, um, so can I ask you about, um, you know, so like David said, it sounds like you received inspiration and, and indication from the universe or God or whatever that, 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 um, or just your own interest that you, journalism was right for you, but you didn't, it wasn't a straight line into that career path. It was sort of circuitous. Why do you think it wasn't a straight line for you? Um, I think it had, you know, I think that it's so funny when I look back at, when I look back at my career now, I think about, you know, sort of the paths that I didn't take and, and whatnot. Um, and, you know, I think I, um, God, gosh, how do I word this in a, a good way? Um, I think it, it would have been a little bit more linear had I done things that I didn't do, I guess. Um, if that makes any sense, like for instance, um, when I was a junior in college, I did a, 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 um, 
internship at my hometown newspaper. And it was a terrific, terrific, amazing experience. And after I graduated from college, they, I actually got invited to come back to that particular role for the following summer. And I was very, very close to taking it. I was, you know, I thought, you know, it, it seems like a solid, solid decision to make. But then this, this offer to come to New York came and I'm like, I kind of jumped on that right away. <laughs> so I think to myself, I'm like, well, okay. So I did, you know, that was a, a path where I went off in, the, in that direction. Um, and then when I got to New York, I, I think that I didn't, at least when I first started off in my career, I wasn't really aware of how to market myself um, in terms of like, you know, what are my, what are my skill sets? You know, what are my interests? Um, and I think that it sort of kind of took time for me to sort of hone that. And I think mm-hmm. that, um, you know, as, as, you, as, you, as, you, as you mentioned, it wasn't quite a linear path and I kind of had a few uh, detours along the way, but I think that, you know, it, it, it all, it all made me the person that I am today, I guess. You Absolutely. Know? <laughs> yeah. You can't regret it. So yeah. I, I think what I think would be helpful, and maybe the answer isn't the same today as it would have been a few years ago, but um, for somebody who's interested or thinking about getting into journalism or in the writing career, what points of advice would you have for them to market themselves? Um, I guess, you know, um, sort of going back to the point that we just made is to, you know, n- not necessarily think of a journalism career as a linear path like that. You'll, you know, you'll, you'll graduate from this school, then you'll get this job, then you'll get that job. And then that job, like it, as, as I mentioned for me, that that's not the way that it was. There were a few detours along the way. You know, there were times where I was freelancing, not necessarily full-time and so on. So I think that, you know, my, my piece of advice would be, you know, don't think of, don't think of a journalism career as necessarily a linear one in the same way that other fields may be. Um, so, I guess, expect the unexpected. Um, also, um, at least if you were, if your interest is primarily print, you know, find any avenue you can to write because you may not necessarily start off, for instance, in the entertainment journalism industry, which is what I sort of saw myself doing. Um, you may have to do, you know, you may have to uh, hone your skills, hone your craft another way. Um, and, all, you know, the other thing is to always you know, always be open to new possibilities and always be open to new contacts. You know, I, I can tell you that most of the jobs that I've had in journalism have, I've gotten in sort of roundabout ways. It's, it's very rarely been, oh, here's an opening. Let me apply for it. Then I interview for it. it it's usually I, you know, know somebody who knows somebody who knows somebody who has an opening. Uh, somebody was impressed by my skills as a freelancer, therefore wants to hire me. You know, it's, always, it's, it's, very, it's usually in a very indirect way. So yeah, keep open, keep open to contacts. I think that's, you know, that's critical. I think that's great that you say that because I think, you know, David and I are big believers in that, you know, there's, there isn't luck, but there's preparation meeting opportunity. And it sounds Mm -hmm. to me like what you're saying, if I'm translating it correctly is, you know, make, make yourself prepared for the opportunities, but then in line with that, also be aware of what they are. And Mm -hmm. maybe it's not going to be a linear path to becoming the entertainment writer. um, But, you know, maybe you have to talk about, you know, school administration policies first Mm -hmm. for a couple of years. (laughs) And then, you know, before you can, you know, earn the right or the opportunity to be able to get to where you want to go. Um, So I I think, I think it's great feedback. One of the, one of my favorite things is that my very first, my very first uh, summer working as a journalist um, in in my uh, internship role, I had to cover not one, not two, but three high school graduations ceremonies. (laughs) 
<laughs> and I, you know, I would say like if I had to listen to uh, Pomp and Circumstance one more time, but you know, it's but it was an, it actually became kind of an interesting challenge. Like it's it's funny to look back on it now, but then I every time I was writing an article, you know, how many how many different ways can you present a, a high school graduation ceremony? But I, I was like, I'd always like find some interesting way in. Like for instance, one of them, one of those ceremonies I went to, there was a huge thunderstorm, and I'm like, oh, that's the hook. That's the hook. You know? Or there was this one, I'll never forget this one um, ceremony I went to where the, the valedictorian tap danced across the stage. I'm like, oh, that's yeah. a cool, that's something that, that's unique to that ceremony. So it was, all, it was all about sort of weeding through that, finding interesting ways in. Because, yeah, I mean, how many, how many different ways can you talk about, uh, you know, a class of uh, 2001, I believe it was. But, you know. Right, right, yeah. But there's a skill that you got from, from that. And that's, I would assume that's something that you've been able to apply throughout your career. Oh, totally. Yeah. I think that's a good, it's a good example of how you can take something either small or, you know, maybe something that's major in the event and be able to craft a story or an article around it that has some sort of interest to potential readers. You know, it's providing value. We always say that there's, there's got to be some entertainment and some education in everything we write. And as mm-hmm. long as you can find a little bit of both, you know, if you can find a little bit of both, you're actually very fortunate. Yeah. And, you know, c- sort of coming off of that point, you know, there are times where, you know, I, I, I've set out to, to cover something and I have, I go into it with a mindset that it's going to be one story. And then actually after, you know, so speaking with sources and speaking with other individuals, the story actually, the sort of the crux of the story changes a, a bit. And I think that's something that 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 uh, aspiring journalists should also keep in mind that you know, like to always be open to to changes, uh, you know, in the news in the news flow of a story and sort of the structure of a story. I mean, I, I guess that's a little bit of more of my sort of more minutia, but you know, but, but something that I thought of right now. Yeah, yeah I think it's valuable for for the listeners. You know, if you are thinking about going into a career in journalism. Like Curtis said, there's a lot of avenues, a lot of different ways in which you can get into it. And thinking, you know, it's 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 so cliche, but thinking and writing outside the box is what's going to get you noticed and what you're mm-hmm. going to provide you, uh, your readers with value. So I have a question for you, Curtis. In the world we live in today with so many individuals who are doing freelancing and reaching out to various publications, one of the messages that we see and hear regularly is this idea of working for audience or for reach and that you uh, individuals are working for free sometimes. Uh, so what kind of value do you think that, an, an, especially somebody who's starting off or someone who is not uh, a, a significant writer with uh, a uh, a backlog of, of well-written articles and publications. What kind of value do you think, do you think that provides for someone? Um, I actually think it, it can provide a lot of value. I mean, certainly, um, you know, it shows that you're passionate enough to 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 care about honing your craft in a you know in a way that goes above and above and beyond financial gain. Um, because I can tell you that <laughs> you know even in um, Paid journalism jobs. Most people don't pursue this career for uh, for wealth by any means. Um, so I think that um, while I don't I don't necessarily lo- sort of love that shift to to free content, I, I do think that for anyone who's who's really passionate about the industry and passionate about writing, it is a good first step uh, in the right direction and a good way to just sort of get a few get some 
clips and get some experience under your belt if you don't have any yet. Exactly. Yeah, I agree with you. We um, there's a, we're part of a, a personal finance community since that's our specialty, and there's uh, there's always a debate about working for audience and working for money. And um, there are some people who are adamantly um, opposed to working for audience, but I've in our experience, I've been of the belief um, that it's to work for that audience is, has been great because it provides you that street cred that you might not otherwise have had. And like Curtis said, um, you know, you, you're able to hone your craft. And the stuff that we wrote four years ago was crap, right? <laughs> <laughs> we were first blogging. We were first blogging, yeah. So, you know, and, and thank God we didn't get, um, you know, to a Huffington Post or a Business Insider level at that point because we would have squashed any opportunity we had to go beyond that. But um, I, I, to me, I think it's, you know, if you're looking to become a blogger, if you're looking to grow an online presence, um, that kind of reach can be um, monumentally um, uh, uh, great for you. Oh, absolutely. And I, you know, as I mentioned, I got my, I got my start in print, which is a slightly different medium, of course, than, than online in terms of the way you go about your work. But I, when I started freelancing initially, um, I started freelancing for a free travel brochure in Prague. And it took you know, for, it was great because it was sort of fortuitous because the editor of that of that um, publication was connected to the editor of the Prague Post, which is the uh, biggest English language newspaper in the country, or I believe it was at the time anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, and because I sort of was able to get in good with with the the first editor, um, she then passed my name along, and you know it was very helpful. So again, it was a it was a connection situation. Yeah. So then there's another opportunity. You know, there's an opportunity there. You didn't look a gift horse in the mouth. You took the 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 gig for free. Um, that eventually yeah. paid off in the long run. Right. Bear in mind, I still had to pay my bills, so I of course was working elsewhere too at the time. So right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So I wanted to ask you. Um, you know, there seems to be a lot of change in the journalism journal, journalism space, especially print media. Uh, mm-hmm. today. What are your thoughts on that and where do you see print media going for somebody who might be considering going down that path for a career? Oh, wow. That's kind of a loaded question. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, you know, I, I wouldn't say that there's, I certainly wouldn't say that there's no value in that because I think that there are still some really, truly excellent uh, print publications, but I would, I would be very um, if, you know, if I were, if I were considering a a print job right now, I would want to make sure that the publication also had a very strong online, uh, presence, whether that be website, social media, et cetera, et cetera. Um, because I think that that's, you know, that's absolutely, absolutely critical at this point. Um, without get you know, without naming publications, I, I worked briefly for a publication that, and this is going back almost 10 years ago now, um, that was a terrific publication. The editor is wonderful and he's somebody I still deeply, deeply admire. But I think to myself in hindsight, like the, the online presence just wasn't there. And I remember sitting in editorial meetings, having discussions where the editor would say things like, Oh, well, maybe we should get on Facebook. Maybe we should get on, um, you know, Twitter wasn't nearly as big of a thing then as it is now, but, uh, maybe we should, you know, do X, Y, and Z with slideshows online. And I'm like, yeah, you probably should have been doing that a few years ago. You know, it's, <laughs> it's, un- it's unfortunate that, you know, there were, there were a lot of publications, or I should say there are a lot of publications that are still struggling to catch up with that. So I would say, you know, if you, again, if you are starting out in the, in the, in the career and you, and you um, are pursuing, you know, a print, pu- a print publication as your uh, place of employment, 
you know, make sure that it's a, a place that's forward thinking and is, you know, thinking about, about, um, where their online presence is and where their presence is in other mediums too. Yeah. Video, video as well. You know, do you think it's still difficult to find forward thinking leaders in the journalism world or is that changing rapidly simply because it has to? Um, Oh, that's hard. To, that's hard to say. I mean, I, I I like to think that it's changing rapidly because it has to. Um, but as, you know, as I said, just I mean, now ten years ago, it's obviously a decade. But just ten years ago, I I did I did I was aware of of people who were a little bit so, kind of slow slow to the game. You right. Know? Well, I think it's, it's it's interesting to ask you this question because you're the senior editor for Huffington Post Queer Voices, and clearly Huffington Post is a leader in this space. Um, um, so I think you know, you're coming, you know, looking at it from the, from the top down. If somebody was looking to get into the Huffington Post or uh, something, you know, a business model that was similar, um, what sort of advice would you have for 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 that person? Um, what, what do you mean? Can you be a little bit more specific? Or sure, like so, if you know, say I graduated college with a journalism degree and I want to write for the Huffington Post, what's the yeah. what's the most uh, direct path to that sort of a career? Um, I mean, I guess, I guess you, you know, you oftentimes with, with, with media, media outlets, they would start you as an intern. So I would look for, you know, I think that for a, a newbie, a newbie internship experience is, is, is critical. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm not, not saying that, you know, you couldn't just, you couldn't just, um, you know, jump right into a full-time job, um, at a place like the Huffington Post, but people that are at the Huffington Post are going to look for you to have honed those online skills before you got started. So I think that that's generally the best way to go about it. Okay. I think that we also live in a world today where, um, I don't want to say anyone, but almost anyone can become a pseudo journalist, journalist, journalist themselves by Mm -hmm. starting a blog or by, um, using mediums like, uh, Facebook, I know Facebook has a a feature coming out soon. I'm forgetting, going to forget the name of it, but it's basically you can craft a a, a blog post on Facebook, or they have LinkedIn Pulse. You know, there, there's various places where individuals can start, and a lot of websites are just fine with you writing something that's as small as 300 words, and uh, and that allows you to, like you said, craft, uh, continue to hone your craft so that when you are out of college. You have a body of work that you can present to someone and say, "This is what I've done so far." Mm-hmm. Um, I have a I have a good friend who recently got into the journalism industry, um, and he, you know, prior to him sort of getting into the industry, he started a whole YouTube series about uh, men's style and men's grooming and sort of you know things like that. And you know, and you know, in hindsight, now it looks sort of. Um, What's you know it, you know you can tell it was the work of a college student at the time mm-hmm. by all means at that you know at the same time that's you know showing that sort of initiative alone was enough to get land him his first job right you know and that's what I think is so exciting about today and I know you said you you could become a pseudo journalist but I mean if you do want to become a journalist or or if you do want to be a comedian or actor or yeah almost almost any career you, if you create a YouTube channel and show that you have an expertise or a proficiency in a particular area if you mm-hmm. create your own blog and do the same I mean that's some that's a that's a portfolio you can take to a prospective employer that we didn't necessarily have that opportunity at our age I mean the internet was just starting out and well, I don't want to date ourselves <laughs> <laughs> but 
So, um, so now you're the senior editor of um, Huffington Post Career Voices. What didn't you expect um, as the senior editor of Huffington Post Career Voices that you might have expected when you were younger and aspiring to such a role? What's surprising? Um, uh, well, it's, it's an interesting thing because, um, you know, when I, I started on, uh, at the Huffington Post on the world page where I was doing international affairs, um, it was this, it, my, my experience in Prague sort of led me into that role, which was very nice. Um, so I was doing that for a little while, but I did find myself drawn to sort of the, you know, the LGBT theme stories were of interest to me, you know, even things that don't necessarily tie, that didn't necessarily tie into the LGBT space, but were sort of advocacy driven. Um, those were very interesting to me. So, um, when queer, when queer voices, formerly gay voices launched in 2011, I was about a year and a half, year and a half into my tenure here. I immediately joined that team and, and it's been, it's been really terrific since then. Um, I can tell you that when I, when I say that I was interested in, um, those types of stories, my mindset at the time was very much like, okay, you know, it's going to be a lot about same-sex marriage. It's going to be a lot about pride parades. It's going to be a lot about Lady Gaga, you know, things like that. <laughs> um, so sort of when I came into it, I was, you know, I went into it with that, that mindset and going into it now, it's, it really is all, all that. And then some really, um, and I guess I was, I was, you know, and I, I don't know why this surprised me, but you know, the fact that a lot of our readers find some of the topics that we cover so controversial is very interesting to me because uh, th that was something I didn't expect. Um, I also didn't expect, you know, it, it, I think it was a great time to be, it's, it is a great time to be covering these subjects just based on how much uh, sort of the social dialogue and the social discussion around them has, is, I shouldn't say has changed, but is changing. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, I could not have anticipated how crucial the, the, uh, transgender space would be to our readers. Um, I hope I'm answering your question. I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm rambling, but that's, you know, that's sort of my mindset on that now. <laughs> no, and, and actually that's, this is a, it's a great segue into the next question that I had was around queer voices and as big as it is, um, what do you think that the, the that the Queer Voices and Huffington Post in general has as a responsibility to the queer community, moving away from things that are so focused on uh, either sexualization or victimization, which we see to be oftentimes drivers in our community. Do you think that there's a, there's a much bigger space where we can move towards more, uh, towards maybe more positive things? Um, you know, I think that that's something that's, that's, sort of that's sort of been our our mission from the get-go you know i think that i again i won't name any 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 publications per se but i look at some other queer outlets and i feel like there still is a bit you know an overemphasis on you know men in speedos and uh, <laughs> really flashy things like that and i i i think there's certainly value in that there's you know i i probably clicked on that story at some point <laughs> but, um, but but you know but my our sort of approach to it is like okay we can we can have those things. It's, it's, it's great, but we want to always give it, give it some context. Okay. You know, it's not just a man in a speedo. This is what, what's going on in this particular scenario. Um, so we, you know, before we, when we, when we set out to create content and when we set out to create stories, you know, like we, we always go, we always aim for a mix of high and low. So, you know, we want something that's, you know, sort of an, a great expose about say transgender issues paired with, you know, uh, 
here's Matt Bomer's new movie, let's say. <laughs> but, but at the same time, like everything should have context and every sh- everything should be part of a dialogue. So, you know, we're always looking for things that have at least some intrinsic value so that, you know, with as much, with as much sexualization, as you mentioned, that we still face, there's at least it's driving the conversation forward in some way. I think that the the reason why I ask that is one of the focuses that John and I have is that we have always believed that uh, we need to to be a strong queer community. And Mm -hmm. one of the pieces, one of the foundational pieces we believe to that is being a financially strong queer community. If we're distracted by other things uh, financially, then we can't be strong. But I think that we oftentimes can see our community getting... uh, distracted with sexualization or victimization and Mm -hmm. those things oftentimes can bring us down and distract us from being this the pillars in not only pillars in our community but the pillars in the larger community we've Mm -hmm. we have matured as a community going from hiding to being partying (laughs) well needing but needing physical support during the AIDS crisis and, and mm-hmm. really needing a, a strong support from, from uh, our outside communities. To today, I think we have the opportunity to be one of the leaders and pillars in the global community that the gay community can be seen as strong advocates for the world being a better place. And I think that mm-hmm. this is, you know, it, uh, that's one of the things I, li- I like about Queer Voices is it allows us to uh, see examples of individuals who are doing that. Yeah. Absolutely. So and it's also it's also important. You, men- you mentioned victimization to call out those that who are not who are not doing good for the community too. I think, you know. Yeah, yeah absolutely. You know, we we just did a story um, on development and gardening. It's a it's a, it's a nonprofit that um, helps uh, those in Africa who who have AIDS um, mm-hmm. build gardens either at the hospital um, where they or their fellow victims are being um, treated or at their homes. And what we th- thought was powerful about that particular story was, if, if you're familiar with Africa at all, you know that those people who have AIDS are typically shunned from their community. And many people who have AIDS don't disclose that to their friends or family because they don't want to be shunned. Um, what, what DIG has done, Development and Gardening has done, is they've taught these people how to, how to grow organic food that helps sustain them through their treatment and, and, and keep them healthy. And they've evolved that into a business that has helped to uh, improve the lives of their family and their community. So all of a sudden, these people who are who were once shunned are now leaders and critical players in their community. And that's part of what I think David is getting at: is we think that you know, even though at one point we were, you know, shunned from our society, and maybe even some people still are, um, uh, we can we have the power to turn that into something a little bit stronger and be leaders mm-hmm. within the, the not only the queer community but the general community overall exactly mm-hmm. yeah um so i wanted to ask you uh it, it wasn't until february 2016 um that gay voices for huffington post changed to queer voices what was um the catalyst for that name change um you know i think it was it's really our, our editorial director noah michelson he it was really his 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 brainchild um but it was one that both uh Myself and our deputy editor James Michael Nichols really supported, um, and it had been something that had been talked about for probably about a year before it actually happened. Um, you know, I think that it you know it wasn't one specific event. It was you know pretty much the way that the the page had been you know we, looking at the page as a whole for the past few years. 
we knew that, you know, the term gay is sort of in, in, to some extent an archaic word, unless you're talking specifically about only men. Um, and, you know, so we, we toyed around with different things to call it, but we thought that queer would be by far the most inclusive um, because even when, you know, we toyed around with, for instance, LGBT voices and, you know, first of all, that doesn't, it's not really a masthead. It's something that really grabs you. But, you know, we had a great series about asexuality a few, about a year, a year ago, and that doesn't fall under the, to the traditional LGBT um, banner, I guess. Uh, you know, we had stuff about, you know, intersex people also doesn't fall under that, under that heading. So we thought that queer um, was pretty much the most inclusive term that we could use and, you know, basically got the ball rolling on that about a year ago and fi- it finally happened in February. So... Um, I will say that, you know, there were some, there was, uh, it was something that was heavily, heavily, heavily discussed because we do know that the word queer, you know, in some cir- circles still has sort of a negative stigma attached to it. Um, but, and, you know, we did get some pushback um, immediately thereafter, but then I think now, now I, now I don't even think twice about it myself. So. Nice. Yeah, the reason I, I ask you that is because obviously our podcast is called Queer Voices, and we had toiled with the title for quite some time. Queer Money. Uh, I'm sorry. Uh, we're, queer, we're Queer Money, You're Queer Voices. Um, we toyed with that title for quite some time, and um, in fact, we reached out to our, um, our our FinCon, our personal finance community, and we threw the name out there, and we tried to get some feedback. And what we thought was funny was um, any person who is queer – um, who we presented that to didn't seem to have a problem with it, but it was a lot of our straight friends who didn't like it because they thought it had a negative connotation to it. Mm-hmm. But David and I also felt that it was um, it was it was a it was a much more inclusive word, um, and I kind of like the way it sounds. Right. <laughs> I I also like that the this slight idea that queer has kind of traditionally been known as being different, and uh, and I like that that I'm different. You know, it, mm-hmm. it, I think that a lot of us uh, are. Differences is what makes us stronger, and so if we highlight our differences, that we can be strong as a community. It's so interesting to think, you know, it was over ten years ago that the show Queerest Folk was popular. Mm-hmm. Then, of mm-hmm. course, uh, Queer Eye for the Straight Guy shortly thereafter. So when we changed the name, I was a little bit surprised by some of the pushback to it because I thought, you know, here were these, uh, you know, staples of pop culture that had that name, and yet for some reason the word still doesn't sit well with some people. Um, so it was very interesting to me. Yeah, that is interesting. What, um, have you received a lot of backlash or has that waned at all? I think I haven't heard about it so much recently for about, about the first two weeks or so after we did the name change, we did get some pretty harsh, uh, pushback to it. And we got some nasty, you know, emails and nasty Twitter comments and so on and so forth. And there was one blogger who, uh, decided that he no longer wanted to work with us because we changed the name and he found the name very offensive. But on the whole, I think it's, you know, God, this sounds sort of silly, but I, I would say anyone who's in the know that I've talked to about it has been, has been very, very supportive about it. Yeah, it's interesting. And John mentioned this in a podcast we had earlier uh, that um, <laughs> we, we put out a, uh, a comment on Twitter one time about uh, how, um, by saying you're gay or coming out as gay, you can get fired. And simply because of the 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 you know restriction of 140 characters, he used the word gay. 
And the number of individuals who were transgendered and bisexual and lesbian who came out said, well, you can get fired too if you're, and that's, you know, just reinforces the, our idea of having, using an inclusive word. And I think mm -hmm. it was in the last uh, six months or so, Leah Delaria came out and said, it's time mm -hmm. for us to use a new word to label mm -hmm. ourselves. And that's what she loved, why she liked using the word queer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, LGBTQIA doesn't really roll off the tongue. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, think that that discussion, the the discussion around those terms is changing all the time too. Like, I mean, I think about when I started, when I started on on Queer Voices back in 2011. You know, I, I couldn't have even told you what A was or I was. You know, mm -hmm. things like that. And now that now those are, I wouldn't say generally accepted terms, but part of the broader conversation. So I think that the language around our community is always changing and always evolving. And, you know, we should, we should change with it. Absolutely. Yeah, and I think just symbolically, if, if we're going to continue to put everybody in different silos, and it's hard for us to coalesce as a community um, and to fight, continue our fight for equality. So if we can find a more inclusive term, even if it means we have to rebrand what queer means, um, I think it's better sim symbolically for us as a community to, to all fall under one, one umbrella. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that kind of covers everything I wanted to ask, except for my loaded question. Of course, your loaded question. <laughs> so I all the way back to the beginning. I have, yeah, all the way back to the beginning. I have been a, a diehard fan of Madonna since the early '80s, and um, so I I saw a picture on Facebook or Twitter or something where you got a picture with her. I did. <laughs> How did you make that happen? <laughs> uh, first of all, you know, knowing the. The conversation that we just had, you know that my head was fully exploding when that photo was being taken. By the way, <laughs> <That's> uh, <awesome. laughs> uh, it's it was a it's a, a a pinnacle moment in in my life, really. And of course, that picture is now framed on my desk That's at so home. Cool. My mother has a copy of it on her mantle. There's nobody. <laughs> there's nobody but uh, family mem family members on my mother's mantle, except for Madonna. She's on my mother's <laughs> mantle now too. That's great. Um, it was it was sort of a very organic way, I guess. I, I it was the about a year and a half ago when her last album Rebel Heart came out. Um, I got invited to be a part of a roundtable with her. <gasps> really? Yeah, which was a really really wild experience. Um, incredible. Um, and yeah, that's that's where that picture came from. <laughs> wow, that is cool. What kind of a round? Can you t give us any details on the roundtable? Um, it was at her. It was at her recording studio here in New York. Um, you, you want like physical details, or no? I don't, know. <laughs> I don't know. I just I'm very intrigued. So I mean, how, uh, how was the experience overall? Was she very nice and, and everything you wanted her to be? She was. You know, she was the best way I can describe it is it was like me going to having a meeting with your high school principal or a, a college professor. Yeah. Very very articulate. Lots of eye contact. Uh, very cordial, you know, not warm and fuzzy by any stretch of the, of, uh, by any means, but, sure. um, but very, you know, I came away from the experience feeling very happy about it, very pleasant. And, you know, I thought that was great. Um, she's very, very tiny, as you can see from the photo. Yes. Uh, she had the, the meeting was in sort of a, a, of a, a conference room that was decorated all white with white roses. Um, it was scorching hot. It was about 90 degrees in that room. Um, and she had sort of kind of like this uh, humidifier with like a eucalyptus uh, mist going the whole time. Oh. And so I will always associate the uh, the smell of eucalyptus with Madonna now. So it wasn't hydrangeas? Um, no, no, no. no <laughs> and, you know, the, 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 so I, again, I was, a, I was one of six journalists to be a part of this roundtable. And um, 
you know, we were all, all gay guys, FYI, and we're all sitting in this room before the, 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 the meeting starts. And I, I said to somebody, I'm like, you know, who's going to ask for the selfie? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not leaving that room without a selfie. Um, and then we, we, you know, we went in, went in, did the interview. Again, she was lovely. As we're getting ready to leave, you know, everyone starts to leave the room. And I'm like, is nobody going to ask for the selfie? Am I going to have to be the one to ask for the selfie? And I was like, I was terrified. But then Liz Rosenberg, her publicist, uh, stops everyone from leaving the room and, and, and says, okay, we're going we're gonna, to uh, do a little photo shoot. And she called in uh, one of Madonna's photographers to take all of our photos with her on a, on a professional camera. So I have this beautiful high-resolution res, high image, you know, rather than a, a cell phone, which is like the best thing ever. So, right. Oh, wow. That is so cool. I was the first one to go too. Sorry, I can talk about this for a long time. <laughs> I, I could listen to it all day. <laughs> uh, I, was the first, I was the first one to go, and it was exciting because, like, she was like kind of adjusting the lighting, like while I was standing next to her. So I got to stand next to her the longest. Oh, and nice. it's funny because, like, I got up there, and and she looks she looks right at me, and she goes, "You can touch me, you know." And I, was, <laughs> I was like, "I don't know." Like, I'm kind of putting my arm like cautiously around her, and she like grabs my shoulder, <laughs> and, and I was like, I was like. I walked off and I was like, did that really just happen? How could that possibly have happened? But, but yeah, that, that's it. So yeah, she was, she's great. That's awesome. I, I mean, you said she was, she was adjusting the lighting and everything. I saw an interview once, I think it was on Nightline or Dateline or something like that. And she was telling the, you know, and you know, the Nightline people how to adjust their cameras and lighting. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> these, you know, it's their job to know how to do that. And here Madonna is telling them how to do it. It's pretty awesome. Well, that's cool. I like, uh, that's an awesome backstory. I have this, um, Someday I will, I will meet her. I don't know how it will be, but it will happen. <laughs> yeah, I think it's very interesting. I love the fact that uh, we started out with how you got into journalism and we're ending here on the fact that you got to meet the person that inspired you to do, or actually was this the, the person that the story was about that inspired you. So yeah, it's a full circle moment, right? Great. Totally. And, you know, it's funny because like I, you know, when I, you know, I've met other celebrities too, and I always think to myself like, well, what do you you know, when you, when you admire someone so much like that, like, what do you say to them? Because it's like, what, you know, I, you know, I could go on and on about how I love this album or this video or this, you know, tour or whatever, but that doesn't mean anything to them. You know, like, I mean, they get that all the time. So all I could really say, you know, aside from our interview was just, you know, thank you. You know, that's all I can, that's all I can tell her. And I think, I think, you know, as, you know, as somebody who's not, you know, in a much smaller stature, stature, um, when someone tells me thank you for a story, that matters the most to me. That's all they need to say. So I, I kind of came came at it with from that perspective. That's yeah, interesting so. that you say that because I've always thought, what would I ever say to her if I if I did meet her? And you know, like you said, I mean, I can't say anything that she hasn't heard. Um, yeah. And so I, I think it, it always did come down to thank you because as as a as a young gay kid, um, you know, who was in the closet for most of his youth and um, uh, and who was picked on a couple times because. It was, he was suspected of being gay. It was, you know, her example of you know being who you're being yourself, expressing who you are. Um, that you know, I kind of helped latched onto. I think at the end of the day, that's probably what I gravitated to most about her was, uh, mm-hmm. you know, her ability to be strong and to be a strong woman who embraced her sexuality despite what society says she was, she was supposed to do. And I always think to myself, you know, it's always, you know, obviously we're we're all men of a certain age here, but <laughs> I think to myself, it's interesting that a lot of the younger younger audiences aren't aware of that at this point. I mean, you know, I guess it's, it's sort of the nature of pop culture and the nature of music. Like I think to myself, like, you know, when there's, you know, when there's this whole uh, Lady Gaga versus Madonna sort of debate going on, I'm like, you people that are arguing that like forget 
forget what Madonna did uh, for the community during her day. You know what I mean? I'm, right. I, I'm, I, I think that, and of course, you know, times have changed. And I think, you know, Lady Gaga speaks to a, a different generation, generation, and I fully support that. I think I like her a lot myself too. But I'm also like, you know, like, you know, like let's let's give Madonna her too. Let's not forget what she did. You yeah. know, she stuck her neck out there when it wasn't necessarily cool to do so. Exactly, exactly. And and a lot of what the younger pop artists now are doing really are they're doing it because she blazed that trail first. You yeah. know, absolutely. So absolutely. Here, well, someday we'll have to have wine and talk about Madonna. And David, <laughs> oh, can, David can go watch football or something. <laughs> well, I'm sorry. Sorry if I'm boring you. We can talk about sports too. <laughs> That's fine. As long as he's happy on that. <laughs> so, um, so thank you, Curtis. Um, we want to respect your time. We really appreciate you coming on, and we, um, and again, I, I want to thank you again for 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 reaching out and giving us your support on Queer Money because um, it's been a great experience. And um, like I said, we probably wouldn't have continued it if it wasn't um, for your positive feedback. So, thank you for that, and uh, we look forward to, to publishing this out to our audience. So, hopefully, anybody who's inspired by journalism or thinking about getting into writing of some way, shape, or form um, can make. Maybe get some nuggets of wisdom from you. Yes, awesome. thank you. Thank you, thank you guys so much for having me. Absolutely, Definitely. thank you so much. All right, whether you like her or not, you'll have to admit meeting someone like Madonna has to inspire one with the work she's done and the longevity of her career. It looks like Curtis has learned a thing or two from her about drive and listening to what the universe is telling him that he needs to do. What about you? Are you driven like Madonna or Curtis? What signs are you getting from the universe that will help you propel your success? Okay, we just serviced you. Now you get to service us by subscribing to this podcast on iTunes and signing up for the Queer Money Lifestyle newsletter at queer.money. Well, I'm not really gay. (laughs) (laughs) Would help me if I had a personal chef made all all my healthy meals for me. Right. So instead I'll have a Snickers tonight for dinner. (laughs) (laughs) The other end, I like the butts, so... (laughs) From Los Angeles, California to Winooski, Vermont, we're taking Queer Money on the road. Join us as we gamify personal finance with Queer Money Bingo or catch our signature Live Fabulously, Not Fabulously Broke Talk and so much more in between. Check out QueerMoneyPodcast.com forward slash tour or the link in your podcast player regularly for date and location updates.